Hi all, welcome to Account Planning in the Age of COVID-19. This is Chapter 8, Episode 3, and this will be the last episode for this chapter. So we're talking about different survey questions and quantitative surveys, and I want to pick up with talking about um, why you have to be really careful and clear in a survey so you know that you are able to um, analyze the data in the way that you want to. And so there's a lot of different problems that we can have with surveys, but there are four what I would consider key um, common mistakes when um, creating survey research. And the first of those is a leading question. So, you know, it's a question that you are sort of setting the stage to help someone respond toward a certain way. And um, just in case you've been asked to take political surveys in this time before the general election, each side, this is not a Republican or a Democratic issue, they are equally guilty on this, um, will ask questions in a leading way in order to you know, sort of massage the data to get the answers that they want to get. So, um, you know, it might be, well, let's forget politics now and um, go to the examples that I have on the slide. So a leading question is, when did you first notice the inefficiency of management? So you can see how that's a leading question. It's already establishing the fact that the management is in, is insufficient and you're supposed to tell, you know, when you notice that. And so you sort of lose the ability to say, wait a minute, I don't think management is insufficient. And especially there might not be a choice to say, you know, management is great. So um, you can see this would be a leading question, right? If you ask this question, when did you first notice the insufficiency of management? And then your choices were um, today, yesterday, last week, or um, a month ago. You don't have a choice to say, I think management is great. So that's a leading question. Very close to that is what's called a loaded question. Um, And the example I use here is, where do you like to go for a drink? Um, And so, you know, it's a loaded question, not just, you know, it's, it's also kind of a leading question, assuming that you drink. But you can see if you were um, sending the survey out to college students, I mean, it's loaded because number one, the vast majority of college students um, cannot legally drink. So you're asking them a question that's already putting them at, you know, when um, do you break the law? And yeah, there's all sorts of ramifications about that. The third example is a double-barreled question. So here's a typical one. How often do you read the newspaper and watch local news? So what makes this a double-barreled question, it's like there's two questions inside of one, um, and you you don't know if this question is saying, I only am interested if you do both reading the newspaper and watching the local news at the same time, that's what I mean? Or do you mean, you know, how would you answer it if you read the newspaper often but don't watch local news or vice versa? So not only is the question confusing, but it really has sort of two answers in there. And so that's why it's called a double-barreled question. 
And the last kind is um, an absolute question. Um, you're giving choices, like the double-barreled question, but would you rather go to the movies or stay at home? And so you're like, well, maybe I'd rather stay at home and watch the movies. Um, or maybe, you know, I like to both stay at home a lot of times and occasionally go to the movie. You don't even know really how to ask the question. Um, so these questions are are problematic because they're hard to analyze, but they're also confusing, right? And notice on this slide on the PowerPoints, I have leading and loaded in red and double-barreled and absolute in purple. And that's because those questions kind of hang together. There's, they're very similar to each other, but you can see little nuances um, from there. So, you know, it's another reason why developing surveys, it takes a lot of time because it's really easy to fall into these traps. And so you have to, you know, ask the questions, work on it, go back and look at it, make sure that the questions are absolutely clear and they're not a leading, loaded, double-barreled, or absolute. Um, so, all right. Um, now I want to talk about um, Likert statements because these are so important in survey research. You almost always see these um, kind of statements in a survey. And, um, and one reason is because you can get all sorts of interesting statistical data when you do um, these kind of liquor statements. So I love using liquor statements in my own research, and, and I don't know that I've ever done a survey where I don't have multiple liquor statements. So um, there's a couple assumptions with this. So here, this example that I'm giving it's, I am interested in trying a meal delivery service. So you make a statement um, and try to um, eliminate um, sort of the extremities of the statement. So for example, you wouldn't write the statement, I am very interested in trying a meal delivery service. Just, I am interested in trying a meal delivery service because you'll um, categorize how interested um, from the response, if that makes sense. Typically in these liquor statements, there are five point scales um, with one being strongly disagree and five being strongly agree. Um, so you go strongly disagree, disagree, neutral, agree, strongly agree. Um, you can also do seven point or nine point, 11 point, three point. Um, Usually it's an odd number, and this is important for the statistical analyses. What you're doing here is typically measuring someone's attitude, what they think about something, um, by finding the mean of this answer. So the answer is going to range from one to five. Um, so someone is going to, you know, one sample size has the, the mean comes out to 4.3. So it's skewed toward agree, if that makes sense. And you can compare it with demographics. I do, um, women think differently than men, you know, maybe I am interested in a meal delivery service. Um, you look at the age groups and you find that people, um, who are 24 to 34, um, scored 3.2. Um, those who are 35 to 65 scored 4.7. That gives you, you can run these analyses to then see, you know, how much stronger one is than the other. 
the other thing about these liquor statements, it assumes an equal distance between each choice. And this is a big assumption that a lot of people criticize because a lot of times it's actually not an equal distance amount. And you can see, um, you know, with these five point or seven point or nine point scales, the middle point is usually the neutral. I, I don't agree or disagree. Um, so you can just intuitively see that that isn't necessarily sort of the same amount of feeling between neutral and agree or agree and strongly agree, but we make that assumption. The other problem with these liquor statements is people tend to um, answer more in the middle. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's questionable about whether you're getting good um, data. But be that as it may, um, this is a statistical kind of statement you can ask that you can get um, actually quite a lot of good information for. So here um, in the next slide, I've got um, examples of um, that I'm using that I have used for um, some research that I've done where I've looked at how people, um, what their purchasing intent is when they see um, labels on, for this study it was with eggs and coffee, so if they see um, Rainforest Alliance, does that make them more or um, less likely to purchase the eggs? And so, um, you know, the statement I have is this label makes me want to purchase this product, and they're seeing the product and they're seeing the label. And you can see I've divided out the demographics. I've asked for um, race, ethnicity. So um, my sample size was 418. Um, I had 264 whites, 55 blacks, 70 Hispanic, and 29 others. And so in this five-point um, mean scale, you can look here and see the means range from 4.59 I, 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 excuse me, this was a seven point scale. So you can start to see that because the mean is 5.1. You're like, what? If you look over here at the minimum and maximum, you can see um, how, um, what the range is of what people said. Um, I don't understand how they did this 1.2. That was some kind of error. Um, but anyway, so looking, say, um, analyzing the difference between whites and blacks 4.59 versus 4.9 is saying that um, African Americans who see this label are more likely to purchase the product than whites but you don't actually know if 4.9 is bigger than 4.5 right so this is the weird thing about statistics and so you have to run stats um, in order to see that. Um, the typical thing you run here is an ANOVA to look at mean differences. You don't need to know this for any of the cues or projects, but just wanted to show you how it all fits together. If you look down here at this F um, statistic and significance, what this is saying is there is a difference between these means. We don't know where that difference is, but what you can say when you look at all this is um, ethnicity um, impacts whether or not you see the label and then you want to purchase the product. You'd have to do another statistic to see um, which groups are different from each other. That's, that's all sounded confusing, but wanted you 
to see that. Um, here's another way I did it. I broke it up into um, high school, college, college graduates, and others. So looking at educational groups. And if you look at the F statistic and the significance, the significance is a smaller number, which means um, these the differences between these means are larger. And so that's, um, you know, sort of emotionally what you're saying here is that education has an even stronger um, predictor for if people are going to respond to um, the labels um, that they see on the product and whether they'll purchase it that has a higher than um, ethnicity. You can also look at this and see that it looks like um, college graduates are most influenced by that. But again, you have to do another statistics to see where the differences are. So my guess is there is not a difference between some college and high school or less. Um, and then it's college graduates are higher, different from both of those. But again, I'd have to do another statistic, which is way beyond this class, but just wanted you to see how all that works. Another kind of question that you can use in a survey that I really kind of love is a semantic um, differential. And just a moment while I check something. Yes. Okay. Sorry. I had to make sure that the um, recording was still going and it is. Um, so is um, what's called the semantic differential. And I think these are really fun because you can use all sorts of questions that describe what it is that you're um, trying to get at that you want to investigate in your survey. So this example was um, that I found online was about grocery stores. So please tell us what you think about um, Anderson grocery stores and then it will have a whole list of um, descriptives and those are the semantics and um, the people who are responding they're actually using a sliding scale that the, um, the survey allows them to do. Um, the description here strongly describes versus um, on the one side and strongly describes on the other side. So it helps you see you know, what your options are, where you can put it. The key is you want to have, you have pairs of descriptors and they need to be opposite of each other. So if you use the word clean, you'd want to use the word dirty. You wouldn't say clean versus happy. It would be clean versus um, dirty, friendly versus unfriendly, convenient versus inconvenient. And so you could see, you know, really applicable for um, doing um, a survey with your meal delivery services. You know, when you think of whatever your brand is, um, tell us, you know, how this brand, how you think of this brand, happy, sad, expensive, inexpensive, reliable, unreliable, whatever it is that you're trying to find out. The key is you got to make sure you're asking things that you actually want to know. Um, again, so you don't end up with a bunch of random um, samples. So I love these semantic differentials because it gives you a lot more options than um, Likert statements, for example. But you analyze this in the same way that you analyze a Likert statement and that you're looking at um, differences in means is what you ultimately, the stats that you run using ANOVA. So it's, it's actually really easy to run these stats and you can get all sorts of um, interesting information. Which brings me to Qualtrics for survey research. 
So um, you all may or may not know this, but we have Qualtrics, um, an online survey um, mechanism at the university and here in the journalism school. It's free for you all. Um, This is a wonderful tool. It's really intuitive. It's really fun. I think it's really fun to do um, and it helps you it even helps you do the analyses even if you don't know what you're doing so you can get all sorts of great information so keep this in mind when we get to the um, concept testing you might decide you want to do a um, survey for the concept testing and Qualtrics would be the easiest way to do it so if you're interested in getting an account for this semester, you just need to let me know and I'll set you up with one. It's Again, it's free, intuitive, and lots of fun. The last thing I want to talk about um, that relates to survey research is um, back to the databases at the university. There is, um, when you go to databases, there's an iRoper option. And what's great about that is you can look up previous survey questions and see what surveys have been done and what the results are. And so this can be helpful because um, number one, you can find out what was done, when it was done. You could then find out if that's enough information for you or if you want to compare what was done then to what you're doing now. Um, It has all sorts of of um, ramifications that could be helpful for you. Um, The example I have here, this slide is from last semester. I didn't, um, I decided not to rerun the analysis. So we did cruise ships last semester. And so, you know, I have here typed in um, cruise ships. So you just go to the iRoper Center and you'll see the iPoll search mechanism. Um, Type in whatever you want. So you could type in your brand uh, meal delivery service to see if anything comes up. Um, If nothing comes up, um, you can be um, more broad based to see if um, something comes up that you're interested in. So that's your first step. Um, Do a key search and see what you get. And here's um, some examples. All sorts of um, surveys came up here. And so you can just, you know, click on each one and see it'll tell you when the survey was done, how many people responded, what the results were, and all of that. It's pretty nifty. Um, Here, um, farther down in the um, PowerPoints, you'll see, um, here's some examples. I found a survey from 2013 that CNN did. Um, If you had $1,000 to spend, do you think taking a vacation on a cruise ship would be a good or bad idea? So you see that's a little bit of a leading question. Um, You know, maybe you think it's, uh, you know, um, neither or whatever. Um, The choices, I don't know, um, are not necessarily particularly good. But but it's interesting here. This will tell you it did 716 um, interviews, how they did them. quarter thought it was a good idea, three quarters thought it was a bad idea. Um, what can also help you when you look at these iRoper data is to see how the questions are um, worded. And especially when you get to the concept testing, um, if you're doing a survey, though everything has to be worded in a really particular kind of upbeat and fun way to get people to respond. And this is 
Um, this is a good way. If you had a thousand dollars to spend, do you think taking a vacation on a cruise ship would be a good idea, bad idea? Here's another one. For your main vacation this summer, how do you plan to travel to your destination? Drive, fly, cruise ship, take a train, some other way. Um, a little over half want to drive, third going to fly, hardly anyone's going to take a cruise ship or take a train. Um, and so on. So this can give you some really great information. Um, and again, it's another reason why do secondary research before you do primary research so you don't just randomly start asking questions that are easily found elsewhere. And so even though those questionnaires are primary data, because you're looking at them after they're done, after they've been used, for you, it's secondary data. And so looking at that can help you as you develop your own primary data. Whew, so that was a lot of info just for one teeny little, it's a few little um, slides. This survey research, it's really complicated. Um, I'm a huge fan of survey research. I love doing survey research. I've been doing survey research for over a quarter century um, and it still is complicated after all that. But I wanted to give you a test, a little taste of it and to see um, it's something that account planners need to be aware of. Most likely account planners will participate in. At the very least, account planners will observe data from other people who are doing these kinds of surveys. So with that, that's the end of chapter eight. You have the three podcasts now, um, and the queue is up and available for, um, for taking and analyzing how well you're absorbing the information. So with that, hope you all have a great day. Stay healthy, um, study hard, but have a good time. Relax. Um, look about the world. It's, it's a strange place right now, is it not? All right, I'll talk to you all later. Bye.